Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Again, if you're a guest joining us here today or watching online or listening to our podcast, we want to say welcome home. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're joining us for this series that we're talking about. And the series is just entitled Jesus. And and for those of you who are part of Celebrate Church, you understand the purpose why we're doing this. On on our note sheet here, we have these bulletins in our chairs. And right at the top of there, it talks about our vision statement. And our vision statement is we want people to do what, church? We want people to meet Jesus. And, And the purpose of this series is to say, if we want people to really meet Jesus... If we fundamentally believe that meeting Jesus is going to change everything about my life and my eternity, we should probably understand who Jesus is. And so we're going through this 15-week journey of the life-teaching ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As I mentioned before, this is kind of one series, but we're kind of breaking it into three parts. We're kind of thinking of it as a play with, with three different acts. So we're kind of kicking off Act 1 today, and uh, it's just simply called Follow Me. That's what we're going to call this part, this part of the series. And, and the, for those of you who haven't been here, the genesis of this is really two years ago, this is a personal journey that I went on. And I said, if I want to be a pastor of a church that says we want people to meet Jesus, I should really understand who Jesus is. Now, I have to remind you, I grew up in the church my whole life. I've been, I've been a part of church my whole life. I've, I've heard the stories of Jesus. I've read them. I've read them several times. But when I, when I t- started this two years ago, my prayer to God was, God, I want to see this in a whole new way. I want to look at like I've never seen it before, and I I really did a deep dive into that as well. And out of that came really what I found, the 157 events recorded about the life of Jesus. So what we did is we took those 157 events and really kind of boil it down into these 15 weeks to paint a picture of Jesus and these three types of acts that we're talking about. And and I mentioned before, of course, that daily reading that we've provided for you. And and it's online as well, whichever works better for you. If you you want to take that sheet home with you and you want to put in your Bible, great. Or if you want to go online, see it every day. I would encourage you, if you're on social media, to like and share those. And and you can comment as well. For those of you who are part of our church, you remember our Real McCoy series. That was kind of actually a pilot for what we were going to do here. And so we're kind of using the same things for that as well. But but really, really want you to just be in God's Word. And, And I mentioned this last week as we kind of introduced this series. I really have two goals for this series. And the first one is I want you to understand what the Bible actually says about Jesus. Even if you're an unbeliever, that's something that I want you to truly understand. And the second thing is, I want you to fall in love with God's word. I want you to recognize that this has the answer. And as I mentioned before, the reason why we're not doing, when you go to the website and you click on the link, you're not going to read a devotional about Jesus. Although there's lots of great devotionals you can read about Jesus. It's not going to be a commentary on the life of Jesus, although there's lots of great commentaries on the life of Jesus. You're not going to watch a video that talks about the life of Jesus, although there's lots of great videos to talk about the life of Jesus. What you're going to do every day and what we're going to do as a church is we're going to actually read what the Bible says about Jesus. And, and don't miss that, church. I think it's so important because I really want you to understand God's word. And I want you to read it for yourselves and then talk about it in communities. And we'll talk about it here on Sundays. And it's a great time, again, if you know somebody who, who is, uh, maybe they're a follower of Jesus, maybe they're not. This is a great conversation to go in and be a part of, to walk through this together. 
Now, I, I, I just, I know that there's kind of some pushback sometimes. Say, okay, pastor, I've got a lot of things going on. <laughs> I, I'm real busy. I got a lot of things in my life. And, and now it's kind of one more thing to do. And, and I just want to push back on that for a second. Because you've heard me say this before, church. The problem is never the problem, is it? The problem is always how we choose to see the problem. And the problem is not that we don't have enough time. The problem is we have the wrong priorities. Because I can think of nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to give you an opportunity every day to understand what God's word actually says about that. And, and I talked about it last week, how sometimes I think we get more excited about a new TV show coming out on Netflix or Disney Plus than we do about learning God's word. And I just wonder what that does to the heart of God. See, I think we have the time. I think we have the wrong priorities. And, and I'm just asking throughout this series that you would make it a commitment to being here every Sunday. That you would make it a commitment to, to following the daily readings as well so you can really truly understand that. And, and the new ask that I just made today was that you would find someone, one or two people, that you could maybe walk together each week and just say, hey, let's talk about this. If you're married, I, I'd hope that you would do it with your spouse as a couple. But I would encourage you to maybe invite another couple to come be a part of that. It's just because we can understand what it means to truly, truly follow him so by way of review if you got your note sheets again take this out on the back side of this this is blank and this is why we always do this is because we want to make sure and there's things that we talk about here that you can take notes and understand take it with you and you could uh, walk through this too but by way of introduction last week we talked about the four gospels or we called them the four dudes now we're not going to put up on the screen yet because we're going to test you those of you who are here who can name for me let's say them out loud together who are the four dudes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good job, church. That was pretty good, okay? I know it's early. We're going to do this again. We need to understand these. We call them the four dudes. They're the four gospels. And so they're going to be up on the screen here. You want to write these down. The first one we talked about is Matthew. Now, Matthew, his name was actually Levi. They changed it to Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 of the close followers to Jesus. Matthew was Jewish, as was Jesus. So Matthew's gospel was really, if you want to think about it, written for the Jewish people. So the nation of Jude, not only is Judaism a ethnicity, it's also a religion. And so the people who are ethnically Jewish, this is very much written to them as well. And, and one of the things that's important about Matthew to understand is that Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. See, Christianity isn't a new religion from Judaism. It's not Judaism 2.0. It's the completion of what God's plan was already meant for the world. And so Matthew is specifically written for that. The second dude we talked about is Mark. He's the second dude in the Gospels. Mark um, is a close associate of Peter. So Peter was not only one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, Peter was also one of Jesus' closest followers. And in fact, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to basically be the leader of the church. When I go back to heaven, Peter, you're kind of the guy, you're going to be the leader of that. He called him the rock. On this rock, I'm going to build this church. But what we know about Peter from history is Peter was a fisherman. He was a business guy. He was kind of a doer. Most scholars believe, and I agree with them, that Peter was probably illiterate. He probably never learned to read and write. Don't you love how God picks people, right? You're going to be the leader of my church. You can't read or write, but I'm going to put you. You're my guy. Isn't that awesome? I love my guy, don't you? But one of the things we know about Peter is that Mark was a close associate of Peter. And many scholars believe that Mark's account was actually Peter's account. If you want to think about it that way, Peter kind of said it to Mark, Mark wrote it down, and that became the gospel of Mark. Mark is the, also the earliest gospel that we have, earliest dated. The second dude that we talked about is Luke. These are guys you're going to be reading throughout the week, right? Luke was a close associate of Paul. We've talked a lot about Paul before. He was an apostle. We know Luke was a doctor. 
which in the first century meant a lot different than it does today, but he was basically a very smart man, very knowledgeable. He probably was pretty wealthy. He also wrote the book of Acts. But the Gospel of Luke was specifically written to the Greeks, or if you want to think of the Gentile, the non-Jewish people. Luke was not Jewish, and so that was kind of written to them to say, this is not a gospel just for the Jewish people. It's literally for all people. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as you go through them, and especially this week as you read through them, you will read times where it's basically the same thing written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and what, what we th believe by that, and I agree with this, is that Matthew and Luke specifically probably use Mark as a source. Luke had said before, I carefully investigated things. So he's looking through this as well. And so we call those, the fancy theological term for that is the synoptic gospels. That's the word that we use to say Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's kind of the same thing. So then we come to the fourth dude, which is John. Now, John's a whole other different thing. And when you read John, it's a lot different. John was one of Jesus's 12 disciples. He, again, like Peter, was one of the closest ones to Jesus. And John actually lived longer than any of the disciples. Of the 12 disciples, 11 of them were martyred for their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. The only one who wasn't actually killed for that belief was the apostle John. John lived, some believe, at least almost 80 to 90 years after the death of Jesus Christ. Um, it didn't go real well for John. Don't feel good for John because John was actually dipped in boiling oil and exiled to an island for the rest of his life. So it's not exactly like a great time that John had. But, but as you can imagine, John became a huge pillar of the church. And so the Gospel of John was not written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were basically written as a biography. Like, I'm going to read just what Jesus happened, A, B, C, all the way to the end. John's not set up that way. John is basically written as a piece of literature. It's based around seven miracles, seven I am statements. And, and honestly, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the Gospel of John is one of the most beautifully articulate pieces of literature from the first century that we have. And I would just encourage you to read it. I actually took a class on the book of John, and it was almost two years long. Okay, it's a 21-chapter book, and we spent like two years in the book of John. <laughs> just because it's amazing and it's beautiful. So those are the four dudes. And what are their names again? You guys are uh, making me so happy. That's awesome. And online, you can say it too. I know it's weird talking to a screen, but God can hear you. Okay, so that's who we're going to be reading this week. So in your Bibles right now, I want you to turn to the book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. We also highly recommend Version. It's a free app on any smartphone or device. Again, that's the one that we use on our website. When you click on that, it'll take you right to Version. It's a great way to do it. If reading is challenging to you, um, Version actually has a place where you can actually listen to it, and it'll play it to you, which is another great way to do this as well. But today, we're really starting Luke chapter 3. Um, last week, and your, throughout your readings this last week, was kind of the Christmas narrative, as I said. Today, we're going to start with the, the public ministry of Jesus. When Jesus became uh, the public ministry, and so we're going to start in Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to start in the first verse. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturnia and Trachonasia, in the Licinian Tetrarch of Albany, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Whenever you read stuff like that in the Bible, there is a tendency to kind of blow past that and be like, why is this in here? Well, why, why is he talking about these guys? What does this mean? So, so I, before we move on, I really have to help you understand something because this is fundamental to this series and to understanding the scripture when you read through the Gospels. So here's what I want you to understand. There are people in the world today who will say, 
The Bible is completely made up. It's a fairy tale. It's a myth. It was written hundreds of years after Jesus lived, and it was made up by these rich guys who wanted to control us. And they don't really actually know what Jesus said. They just kind of made this up as they went. They're kind of based on legends and myths, you know, kind of like the Greek gods and the Romans gods. And this is, this is just kind of all fable. You don't want to base your life on that, okay? Now, that's, that's a position you will hear in our world today. And, and every time I hear that, I've told you this before, I used to argue with people like that, okay? I don't do it anymore. I love them. I just smile because they just haven't done their homework. Let me unpack for you what Luke just did, and I want to tell you the significance of this, but I'm going to do it in a different way. So, so play with me for a second here. If I were to say to you in this room, do you remember the 1980s? Okay, now I see a lot of smiles. It's, ah, the 1980s. Now, if you're under the age of 30, you're like, no. <laughs> okay, if you're over the age of 30, you're like, oh, that was 40. Church, that was 40 years ago, Okay. That makes us old, right? So all the under 30 goes, you are old. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So if I could say today, I can say, remember the 1980s. Now, what if I said it like this? What if instead I said, do you remember when Ronald Reagan was president? Do you remember when Bill Janklow was governor of South Dakota the first time? Do you remember when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird dominated the NBA? What am I talking about there? The 1980s, right? That was during the 1980s. Now, let's, let's do another one. Let's play along. What if I were to say, you remember when Bill Clinton was president of the United States? Remember when Bill Janklow was governor of South Dakota the second time? Do you remember when Michael Jordan was dominating the NBA floor? What am I talking about there, church? The 1990s, right? We're talking about those eras. Why am I telling you this? Because in the first century, they didn't have the 80s, 90s, the 2000s. The calendar that we use today wasn't even invented until about a thousand years later when we started the calendar. So what Luke is doing for his audience, and I would contend he's doing for us today, is he is doing the exact same thing that I just did for you. He is naming specific people in specific positions at a specific time to tell you exactly within at least 20 to 30 year period time frame exactly when the ministry of Jesus began. Luke's readers in the first century knew who these people were. And I would just contend, this is my pushback. If Luke is making this up, you can fact check that. You can show that. And they can say, hey, wait a minute, that happened. This is so important to understand. This is one of those passages, and I can show you other ones. This is why we know this was written in the first century. This was written within 40 to 50 years after the death of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because we talked about this last week. Luke said, I have eyewitness accounts. There were people who were there who saw this. This actually, what was written, is what happened. And, and I could tell you, I could go on about this because I really have researched this. I've done my homework, okay? And I could show you, I'm going to make a statement. Every single thing that Luke writes about, he does this a lot in his gospel and in the book of Acts. Archaeologically, they've never found any conflicting data with what Luke said. I've read scholars who have said Luke is one of the most accurate first century historians we ever had. Notice he didn't say even that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He didn't say that, you know, Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. He died and rose from the dead. This scholar said that what we have here in Luke is actually accurate. Okay. Now I can go, I, I'm a nerd. Okay. You guys knew that about me, right? I could go on and on about this because I want to show this to you and, and half you would be asleep, right? And all the nerds would be like, oh, this is great. Okay. But I, I got to give you one of these. Okay. So this is one of these things. The, the last name that was up there on that verse, Caiaphas, okay? This is what you need to understand. In 1990, there was an archaeological 
find that found Caiaphas' ossuary. We have a picture of it that we're going to put up there. That's Caiaphas's ossuary that was discovered in 1990. There's an inscription on that tomb. Basically, if I could just keep it simple, that's a coffin. And it was, what's buried in there is a male person who is labeled on there the son of Caiaphas. This is basically an archaeological evidence that shows that there was a dude named Caiaphas. He was a high priest in the first century in Jerusalem, which, oh, by the way, that's what we just read in the book of Luke, didn't we? And I could tell you, I could, like I said, I could bore you to tears standing here over and over and over again. Why do I tell you all that? Because this actually happened. What we have in Scripture is actually true. What is actually written. And because I believe that that's what changes everything. Now, can I tell you I'm excited about this series, okay? This is why I'm excited about this series. We need to understand this. We need to know this. Because the world is telling us a lie. And it's not true. And I would contend it's not even because of the facts. Because facts are kind of hazy right now, right? We can kind of make up our own facts. This is why I would contend. Because if what this is true, if what I just explained to you is actually true, then guess what? You have a problem. You have to understand the rest of Scripture. And you have to understand that this guy, Jesus, wasn't just some dude that lived 2,000 years ago. This guy, Jesus, has something to it. And I would contend that's the actual problem the world has with Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to know, and then I'm going to move on, I promise. Here's what I want you to know as a follower of Jesus Christ. You do not have to take your brain and put it in one pocket and take your faith and put it in another pocket. That's a lie that our world has been telling you, that if you want to believe in Jesus, I remember my freshman year of college, I had a professor say, if you believe in God, it's like believing in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I remember that to this day I was born. And, and he said, listen, that's a lie. Because this is what I want you to understand. There is a God who wants to know you. His desire is for his children to understand and have a relationship with him. You don't have to put your faith over here and your brain over here because God can make it happen. And that's what we can show and do that. And I'm super excited about this and we got to move on. <laughs> okay, so Luke chapter 3 verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So in this verse, we meet a guy by the name who would come to be known as John the Baptist. Now, this is not John the Lutheran or John the Methodist or John the Presbyterian, okay? This is John the Baptist. His more accurate name would be John the Baptizer is kind of the more accurate translation of what he is. Why is John significant? John is actually, his ministry and his life is actually mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's something you need to understand. If something is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's pretty significant. John had a pretty significant ministry. Jesus would go on to say that there was no one ever greater born than John the Baptist. That's a pretty powerful statement. John the Baptist was one of the greatest communicators maybe who have ever lived in all of history. And yet we know very little about his ministry, and we know very little about what he said. We just know what's here in these four Gospels. So on your note sheets, I'm going to give you a couple things about John, because we need to understand John if we want to understand Jesus. Because all these Gospels talk about John and start with John. So who was John the Baptist? So I'm going to give you three things. You can write these down. The first thing we know about John the Baptist is he's Zachariah's son. 
Luke mentions that in this verse. And, and I would refer you, if you're a guest, I'd refer you to go back to our Christmas series. We started week one, and I did a message on Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and the first part of Luke, if you read it this week, it included that as well. I'm not going to go into that here, but I'd encourage you to go back and watch that message. Um, what we basically want you to understand about that, Zechariah had a wife named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was related to Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus. So John the Baptist is basically a relative, a blood relative, if you will, of Jesus. Here's the second thing you need to know about John the Baptist, and this is even more important. John the Baptist was a prophet. Now, if you don't know that word prophet, what does prophet mean? Well, so a prophet was somebody God would send. It's somebody with a message from God. And all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, that God would send these messengers to the people of Israel to try to help them and to understand who God is. And if they've got off course, they would come and they would talk and they would share. And, and there was a prophecy that said that before the Messiah came, there would be a guy who would come to tell about the coming of the Messiah. This is referenced in the book of Matthew, but we're going to go right to the source. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. This is what it says. A voice call of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hillside made low. The ground shall be made level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. So John was a prophet that was coming to say the coming of the Messiah. You'll read about this this week in your readings, that John wore camel hair, he ate locusts and honey, and he lived in the wilderness. John was kind of a crazy guy. And a lot of times in Scripture, the prophets would do these crazy radical things. Why would they do that? Because they wanted to get some attention. Not for themselves, but they wanted to get attention to say, hey, God has a message for you. And a lot of times he would use his prophets to do certain things to help prepare this message. So John was a prophet. Here's the third thing that I want you to write down. And this is my words, not, not Scripture. So if this offends you, please be mad at me, not, not God. <laughs> John the Baptist was Jesus' opening act. Okay? Now, we understand this idea of an opening act. If you've been to a concert, right? if you've been to like a stand-up comedian, if you, even if you go to a movie, you always see an opening act, right? Or there's usually like a preview at a movie. But specifically, I'm going to use the, word, the comedian type. If you come into a room and you're a comedian and you want people to laugh, it's hard to do. So usually they'll have an opening act that come out and kind of get some laughs. Not, not, not as good as the, the headliner, right? He's just the guy that's going to come out and, and kind of warm the crowd up, get everybody in that same mindset. Same thing at a concert. When a concert comes, sometimes they'll have an opening act come out and play and kind of warm up the crowd, get everybody cheering and liking music. Okay, why am I telling you that? Because John the Baptist was Jesus' opening act. If you remember from Scripture, God had been silent for a period of 400 years where there hadn't been a word from the Lord. And John came in to say, hey, I want to teach you about somebody who's coming. Look at what he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And this was his message. This was the message that John said. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that people came from all around to listen to John. They would confess their sins to John, and they would be baptized by John, which is why he got the nickname John the baptizer, or as we call him today, John the Baptist, which again is not his denomination, it was his occupation. So 
we want to take a moment here just to really talk about those two things. There are two, excuse me, there are two main actions that followers of Jesus do. And, and this is one of them. Baptism is one of them. The second one is communion. We did that last week. So of all the followers of Jesus throughout all the, the history of the last 2,000 years of church, throughout all cultures, throughout all places in the world, there are two universal, we call them sacraments, of being a follower of Jesus. One is communion, I mentioned that. The other is baptism. Okay. Now, although everyone agrees those are the two that are big, here's the second thing I want you to understand about these two things. Nobody agrees on how and when and how often, right? Think about communion, right? Do we use bread? Do we use crackers? Do we use wine? Do we use grape juice? Do you have it every week? Do you have it every other week? Do you have it every quarter? Do you, can, can, do you have to take a class before you take it? Do you have to be a member of the church before you can take it? Do you have to be able to, all these things that come up about that? Same thing with baptism, isn't it? And if you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about it. Do you baptize as a baby? Do you sprinkle? Do you dunk? How many times do you do it? Do you hold them under until they really get saved, right? Or if you're in Yankton in January, let's go to the river and find out how much you really love Jesus, right? We disagree on that. And here's what I want you to understand. And here's my official theological position on all those questions. Yes. Okay? And if that offends some of you, I want to play this out for a second. I wonder what it does to the heart of God. When Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you communion, and I'm going to give you baptism. That's what it means to follow me. Those are two very important things. And we spend the next 2,000 years fighting about all that kind of stuff that doesn't matter. I wonder what that does to the heart of God. There has never been more division in God's church than over these two ideas. And I'm just telling you, as a pastor of this church, it breaks my heart. And so today... I want to do something for you to really unpack baptism because I don't think we get it. Even if, you're a, even if you've been in the church your whole life, I don't think we get baptism. And that's why I, I postponed our baptisms from this week to next week because I really want to teach on this. I really want you to understand what baptism actually is and what baptism isn't because I don't think we truly get it. So on your note sheets, I'm going to give you three things of what baptism is. Here's the first one. Baptism is an outward symbol. Baptism is an outward symbol. On my finger right here, I have a ring. Okay? This is my wedding ring. On June 16th, 2001, I stood before a church, stood before God, stood before my family and friends, and Elaine Stephanie Larson walked down the aisle, thankfully, <laughs> and she gave me this ring. And this is an outward symbol of my marriage. This does not make me married, okay? Let, let me play this out here for a second. Let's just say it's an outward symbol to say I am married. When you look at my finger, hey, this guy's taken, right? I know it's hard, ladies, to resist it, but hey, I'm taken, all right? I, I, it's just say I am married. That's what baptism is. Baptism, and I'm, you might want to write this down. I believe, and I would contend this, baptism has to be public. We, we need to do it in front of people. That's why we're going to do it next week here. It's to say we want to make it a public declaration, just like my marriage, when I stood before God in Elaine, I said, hey, this is an outward symbol that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do what Jesus says. It's very important. It's an outward symbol. But here's the problem, and I think it's the second one. Baptism is also an inward decision. Baptism is an outward symbol, but baptism also is an inward decision. Let me play this out for you for a second. I just told you, hey, 
20 years ago, I stood before God and I married Elaine. But I tell you what, you know, we haven't lived together for about 10 years. I don't, I don't really talk to her anymore. And, and you know, I, I've, I've, had, I've been intimate with probably five other women in the last 10 years. But I'm still married to Elaine, to which you would look at me and say, no, you're not. <laughs> and Elaine would say, uh, no, you're not. But everybody look right here, and this might hurt a little bit. I hear people say all the time, I was baptized when I was a baby. I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ. But I completely neglect his word. I completely neglect this church. I completely neglect him with my finances. But I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, this might hurt, but I love you. No, you're not. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward decision. And I would contend it's, it's, it's a daily inward decision. My marriage to Elaine is a daily decision that I wake up and I say, listen, I remember. I look back at this ring and I remember standing there. And I look back and I say, I know it's hard. I know it's, it's frustrating and, and maybe we've had some problems, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay committed to this relationship. I don't understand it right now. I'm struggling with it, but I'm going to stay committed to that. See, that's a daily decision that we have to make. And it's the exact same thing with baptism. And, and this is no guilt and no shame. Please hear this from the bottom of my heart. But if you're here today and your life hasn't been following Jesus Christ, you need to get baptized next week. Even if you've already done it before, even if you did, and I'm not here to step on your tradition or anything like that, but I want you to make an, an inward decision, an outward symbol of your inward decision to say, okay, I'm ready to make the next step. I'm ready to do, I'm ready to actually live my life the way that God wants me to. Look at what John says. This is what John says in Luke chapter 3, and back in 3 verse, verse 10. People would come to John, and John would say, repent. People would say, then what should we do, the crowd asked. Listen to John's answer. John didn't say, you should go to a class. John didn't say, you should come here and get baptized, or, or you should do this. Listen to what John said when people said, what should I do? Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. We've talked about tax collectors before in that society. Those were the lowest of the low. These are the people you didn't want to be around. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And he said, teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, these are Roman soldiers. These are the enemy coming to John and saying, John, what do we need to do? Listen to what John says. He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What am I trying to say at this? Each one of these people, the crowds, the tax collectors, the soldiers, John is saying, listen, baptism is an inward decision. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision. It's saying, I'm going to value other people above myself. And church, that is the key to following Jesus. Following Jesus means love and action. We have to understand that. That if we're going to get baptized, we're going to make an inward decision every day that I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. Is it easy? No. Will it be difficult at times? Yes. But it's so, so important. But here's the third thing, and this is probably the biggest problem that I have with baptism sometimes. I want you to write this down. Baptism is an outward symbol. It's an inward decision. But baptism does not remove my sin. 
and, and I've heard people say this, and, and I love them with all my heart. People say, well, I need to get baptized so I can go to heaven. Church, that's not in the Bible. Okay? And, and I love you so much, and, and I want to help you with this. See, here's the thing. Baptism, Jesus was baptized. Jesus was without sin. If baptism removes sin, why would Jesus get baptized? Let, let me play it out for you another scenario. At the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And if you remember this, Luke is going to tell us about this in future tense. There was a thief that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and one of them was cursing Jesus and calling him all kinds of names. There was another thief that said to Jesus, he said, listen, we're getting what we deserve, but you don't deserve this. And, and, he, and the thief said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, remember me. And remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what Jesus didn't say to him? Okay, let's come down off this cross real quick. Let's get you baptized. Let's get back on this cross so we can make sure you go to heaven. Do you see the logic there? But, but yet I hear people say that all the time. Oh, you got to be baptized. No, you don't. Baptism does not remove my sin because here's the problem. If we think about that, then we think about baptism takes the place of what Jesus did on the cross. Think about that. If baptism is what removes sin, then what's the purpose of the cross? That's the act that Jesus did. Let me read you Matthew 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, 13 and 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But listen to what Jesus said back to John. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, Jesus needed to get baptized. Now, it, it's, like I said, if Jesus is sinless, why would he be baptized? Because there's something else we need to understand about baptism. And if baptism doesn't remove my sin, Pastor, then why do I need to get baptized? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to give you three reasons why you need to get baptized. This is the three reasons why. And you're going to see a theme with these of why, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to get baptized. Here's the first one. Jesus did it. Can I just say, that's all we need to know. <laughs> Jesus got baptized. We need to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is something that you need to be part of. And if you haven't done that, next week is an opportunity to do that. But here's the second thing I'm going to give you. Again, you're going to see a theme here. Why do I need to get baptized? Jesus commanded it. It was one of the things that Jesus commanded. Fast forward to the end of Jesus' life after he rose from the dead, when he's ascending back to heaven, He's with his disciples, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, there's our word, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why when we baptize, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But, but here's the third reason why you need to get baptized. And, and again, this is me talking, and this is me kind of working this out too. So I'm not trying to offend anybody when I say this, but I think we need to think about baptism differently. Jesus needed it. Think about that. Jesus did it. That's a good reason to do it. Jesus commanded us to do it. That's a better reason to do it. But Jesus needed it. Look at his words to John. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Immediately after Jesus was baptized, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say this. And the, word, the language means like basically right after it happened, 
Jesus immediately went to the desert for 40 days where he was tempted by the devil. And he faced three great temptations. You're going to read about that this week. So I'm not going to spoil it for you. Go read it. But, but here's what I want to say about this. Why I said Jesus needed to be baptized. When you follow Jesus Christ, when you say, I'm going to do live my life the way that you said, there's a myth that says, now my life is going to be great. Everything's going to be roses. I'm following Jesus. My life is awesome. Church, I love you with all my heart. That's a myth. And I don't ever want to try to tell you something that's not true. Because immediately after Jesus was baptized, he faced one of the lowest points of his life, the hardest struggle that he ever did. But think about this. Let's flip it backwards. He knew that was coming, so what did he do right before that? He got baptized. If the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, needed to get baptized before he faced that trial, how much more do you and I need that? And here's what I'm going to tell you, church, and I'm going to take a risk by saying this. I love you with all my heart. The first person that's going to get baptized next Sunday is your pastor. I'm going to be up here, and I'm going to be the first person to get baptized. And if I'm the only one that gets baptized, I'm cool with that. Now, why am I doing that? Do I need? No. I did, yes, I was, I was baptized, so you know. I was baptized as a baby. And then when I was about 13 years old in my home church, I stood up and I got baptized and I washed the blood of the lamb. And I, I'm not doing it because I feel like I need, this is what I need you to understand, church. Because I want you to understand the significance of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And how powerful and how important it is to make that decision. And, and I'm going to go back to what I said before. If there's somebody here today who has never done that before, I, I, I can't encourage you enough to make that decision, to come and do it. And just to give you some practical things, I know there's some people thinking, okay, what does that mean? What are we going to do, right? Are we going to actually go to the river? Is he kidding about that? Yes, I am. Okay, So, so we're going to have a tank here. And, and what we're going to do is we're, we're going to ask people to get in the tank, and, and we're going to have you dunked, and we're going to bring you back up. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring you back up. Now, there's some of you that maybe physically are not able to do that, okay? What we're going to do instead is we're going to have a little row set up here, and we're going to have you ask you to bring a towel, and we're going to have some water, and we're just going to pour some water over your head, okay? Because, again, it doesn't matter how it does it, right? Right? That's how we're going to do it that way. We might have some people here who might have kids, okay? And they might say, I want to get my kid baptized. I want you to know in our denomination, that's okay. Now, we don't, again, baptism is not salvation. This is not saving your child. What this is saying this is saying, listen, as the parents of this child, I want to honor God. I want to do everything I can to raise this child the way that God wants me to. And as the church family, we can stand around those parents and say, and we're going to be here and we're going to support you. That's a powerful thing. And, and the hope is that at some day, that child will grow in the, just like Jesus and make that same decision, right? Because Jesus' parents did that. They dedicated him when he was a baby. He got baptized when he was an adult. We're okay with that. Okay, and, and that's what I want you to understand. And so that's what it's going to look like. But the first person going to do it is me. Because here's what I want you to know. And let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 10. We're going to wrap this up. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Church, you are so loved by your God. You have no idea how much your God loves you. You have no idea how proud he is of you. 
I don't care who you are or what you've done. We have a saying. It's on that banner. It says, welcome home. And my God has one desire. is that for his children to come home. And again, even if you're baptized as a child or, or whatever your denomination is or background, I'm going to highly encourage you next Sunday to make that decision. And like I said, we've got options. If, 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 you're, if you're afraid of water even, you say, I don't want to get in the water, you can go ahead and just pour the water. I don't care how it happens. But, but what we're going to do is we're going to make a public and outward declaration that says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's going to be so much more than an outward declaration. It's going to be an inward decision. We're going to say, every day, I'm going to get up. Remember, like I said, every day I make a decision to be married to Elaine. Every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do that. But I need you to understand something. This act does not take away your sin. There's only one way to do that, and that's Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here today in the sound of my voice or watch online or listen to podcasts who you haven't decided to say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want this to be that moment. And so right now we're going to do something. We're going to go to a time of prayer like we typically do. But, but I'm just going to take this moment. This is your time to pray to your God. And if you haven't decided that, I want today to be that day. Where you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. God, I know that I've made some decisions in my life that I'm not proud of. God, I know that I've strayed away from you. And God, I, today, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to ask that you would forgive me. Jesus, I, I accept the gift that you offered when you died on the cross in my place. Just like that thief said. And it's not just about someday we'll die and go to heaven. Yes, that's a great thing. But how about now? How about today? Just as John said, it means to follow Jesus. It means that we see people in need and we help them. It means that we don't cheat. It means that we don't lie. It means that we have integrity. God, I just pray that we would surrender that to you. And again, maybe there's somebody here who, who grew up in church, or maybe you, you followed this before, but you just say, you know, today's a new day, and I want to make that decision. And next week, I want to get baptized. Now's the time to make that decision. And I pray that maybe you would share that with people. Maybe there's people in your life. Maybe there's family members that need to be here next week. You say, hey, I'm, I'm going to get baptized at this church. And maybe they don't even know what that means, but how cool would it be if we packed this room out and we had people come up here and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. What does that look like in your heart? God, I thank you for the life of John. God, I know history remembers him as John the Baptist, but God, I know, Jesus, you said he was there's none greater than him. And God, I love the heart of John, even though he has this thriving ministry and things are going great and he's a great communicator. When you came down to him, he said, listen, I need you, Jesus. I need you to baptize me. But, but Jesus, you were so humble. And you said, no, John, I need you to do this for me. Jesus, how much more do I need it? How much more do we need it together as a church? And God, I pray that next week you would move in the hearts and minds of people to stand up and say, yes, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this outward decision, this outward declaration of an inward decision. 
and say, my sins are gone and they're forgiven. Not because of what I've done, but because of Jesus' death on the cross. God, I thank you for that. We ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.